From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Some GPs might be frustrated when they receive a letter from a public hospital asking for a patient to be re-referred to a specific clinician. This rather obscure loophole often gets coined as Medicare double dipping, but it's not always as straightforward as it seems. Today, Holly Payne on named referrals and the complex beast of state funding. Holly, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here, Francine. So Holly started with us at the start of this year and it's your first time on the Tea Room as well. (laughs) Holly Payne is a reporter for the Medical Republic. So Holly, before you worked for us here at the Medical Republic, you actually had some experience in the referral space, which is how I imagine you got to this story. For the last four years, I worked for public health up in Queensland. I read referrals. That was my job. I (laughs) received them from doctors. So I was part of the public system in public outpatients is what I did. Uh, We received it from doctors, from GPs out in the community, wanting to refer to outpatient specialists um, in a large public health district in Brisbane. So we would get the referrals and they would be faxed through to us, uh, which is very old school. uh, But unfortunately, there's not many better ways Or they would be sent through to us electronically, but not via email, because that's something you can't do for some reason, a very obscure part of the law. And yeah, we would get referrals. Uh, We would have to link them with a patient profile that was either already existing with one of our hospitals. So there were five in the district that I worked at. And we could then, if we could link them, that was great, but we needed to have three points of information to confirm that. So name, date of birth, and home address were the normal three. But sometimes those change, um, not date of birth, but address or surname if a woman gets married. So Medicare number was another thing that we used. What led you to look at this story specifically? And could you tell us a little bit about the named referrals and that wicked beast within that system? That old chestnut. Um, (laughs) So named referrals are actually quite a routine part of our day. So what happens normally is that obviously public health waiting lists are very long, especially for those public outpatient clinics like cardiology or orthopedics. So what the public hospital system does to get around that is they call up the patient and they asked them if they would like to be seen as a private patient for no out-of-pocket fee, so bulk billed. And then, once the patient said yes to that, because I believe it's not my department and we never actually dealt with that side of things, they would normally say yes. A letter would get sent to their referring GP. Their referring GP would then have to write a name that the hospital had provided them, so it could be like the name of the head of the cardiology department. This then gets resent in, and it's actually reprocessed, so... It comes back in through the front line again. And what we would do is we would find the original referral and we would replace it at the facility with that new named copy. That named copy allows the patient to actually be seen as a quote-unquote private patient under a very obscure National Health Code subclause. And they get put onto a separate waiting list and patients are then seen at the clinic and the clinic can bulk bill them as a private patient being treated at a state-funded public hospital is the very simplified version of that. 
the patient has that appointment with no out-of-pocket cost, but who is getting paid and why is it so often that specialists are seen as double-dipping by both going through the private system and also charging Medicare? Yeah, so in the end, because it's bulk-billed, that's being taken from the federal pot of money rather than the state pot of money. There are... I guess, conflicting codes within the whole National Health Reform Agreement. And some of those do say that state-funded hospitals can't control referral pathways. So some people definitely see that as referring, <laughs> as controlling referral pathways, which in you know many community-based GPs' minds, that's illegal. <laughs> but in the hospital's eyes, it's fine because they're asking patients' permission. So that's one reason, I think, why it gets people's goat. And another is that GPs see this as taking away from their own funding because when they bulk bill, they take away from the national pot of money and they don't want too many hands in there. Understandably, um, they see that as where their funding comes from and that's true as well. But GPs often say that this can result in poorer outcomes in primary care. And Holly, you spoke to one of the prior presidents of the AMA about this. What did they have to say? Yeah, so I spoke to Associate Professor Gino Pecoraro. He was the former AMA Queensland president, and he hates named referrals, I think is the best way of putting it, and I don't think he would argue there. He really believes that it is the state kind of creating a hidden wait list because suddenly the public waiting list looks shorter because people have been moved over to a parallel one. And something that I didn't mention before is that even when a named referral is sent, once the hospital has it and has made the decision to bulk bill that patient, that patient won't actually see or might not necessarily see the doctor which it was named to. So that's another thing that Dr. Pecoraro takes issue with because you have to go to the effort of like re-signing the document, sending it back in, patient goes on a different waiting list, and then they might end up seeing a registrar at the end of that. Medicare doesn't require the hospital to have a named referral to bulk bill but the National Health Reform Agreement does require that named referral to bulk bills. So there's kind of an inconsistency gap there, which is the reason for that. So Professor Pacarero, he said that there could be some solutions to this. What would be a step in the right direction? I know that I've heard him talk before about publishing waiting list times. Yeah, so Professor Pacarero believes that if patient waiting list time for outpatient appointments were more, I guess, publicly accessible then patients would understand that, hey, this is actually in reality going to take me three years until I see a specialist and I don't want to wait that long. I'm going to fork out the money to see a private doctor. And because of that, it would diminish public waiting lists because more people would then move over to private and the people who really need that public funded care are able to receive it. And then there's Professor Stephen Duckett's point of view. Now, his... uh, leading healthcare economist. He's from the Grattan Institute, and he has actually done a lot of work with public health systems in terms of structuring their funding. He sees named referrals as a viable solution to the waiting list problem, which seems to be at the root of everything. The way he sees it, there is just not enough funding for all the people who need to be seen for a lower cost to be seen for a lower cost. And by creating this named referral, pathway. It's like people get seen in a shorter amount of time and it's still at no out-of-pocket cost. He argues that this in turn creates a better overall system for the patients 
even if it means taking funding from national rather than state-based resources. Yeah, and I think the real frustration that is illuminated through named referrals is the frustration that GPs are the only specialists that don't have a choice. They can only access that federal-based funding, as you were saying. And named referrals just opens this absolute, uh, opens the floodgates in some ways for all non-GP specialists to be able to access state and federal funding, which of course just seems very unfair. And as you were saying, it's unclear whether that leads to better quality of care. So were there any solutions to these claims of cost shifting between these two systems and what could be done about it? The only real solution out there is more money for healthcare overall, unfortunately. Professor Duckett, for instance, argues that this is actually a pretty good solution and that it doesn't really need fixing so much as maybe the Commonwealth government could put more funds towards state-based hospitals and formalise that solution, if you will. Otherwise, publicising waitlists is a really good start. It's actually, I believe they are now published in Queensland, and now they're rolling out a system whereby GPs will actually be able to see the waitlist before they refer, which is believed to be a really good tool to spur that discussion on whether patients want to pay private or go public and wait. Yeah, and is there any issue here with the amount of Australians that are turning away from having private health insurance as well, Holly? Absolutely. And this is something that Professor Pecoraro brought up because uh, by trade, he's a gynecologist, um, an obstetrician. And he was talking about how the public service at the moment in uh, obstetrics particularly has lots of women who have chosen to have their baby at a public hospital. And that is causing quite a bit of issues. It's causing women to kind of there's not enough beds to go around and obstetrics is the one <laughs> I would say obstetrics is the one public specialty that is always hitting KPI because there's a limited amount of time um, before each woman gives birth and at the moment from what Dr. Pecorero was saying there's not enough beds to contain all these women and all these children and in a compassionate way let, let them be able to stay until they're ready to leave. And I can see how that especially happens in that specialty because, as most people would know, it's not just about getting public health insurance when you get pregnant, but you mm. actually have had to have had the policy a year before your due date, I believe, which you know requires a lot of planning. And as we know, not everything in life is planned <laughs> when it comes to delivering babies. So it will be interesting to see how funding is dispersed in the future, especially if the populations continue to grow. Yeah, especially if we see more young people move away from private healthcare. When you publish your story on named referrals on the Medical Republic website, you really set off the comments section. There are a lot of people who, rightly so, have some very strong feelings Mm. about referrals and especially named referrals. Why do you think it's such a contentious topic I think that a lot of doctors, especially out in the community, really feel the brunt of not having enough funding. And so I think when they see something like named referrals happening, it, you know, quite rightly gets their goat because a lot of doctors look at named referrals and they see this as, well, what if this money could have gone towards indexing Medicare rates and upping MBS things that they don't have to charge out-of-pocket costs for patients 
maybe they could be better treated in primary care for longer and never have to progress to more expensive hospital care. Uh, it's a pretty multi-layered debate. I also think that people can be quite annoying when they res- you know, they've written a referral, they've sent it in, it comes back, they say, we have to name it, you send it back in with that named and you're not really paid for that time, especially if there's five coming through at once. And then your patient isn't even seen by the doctor that you had to write that referral for. I can understand why that would make people angry. And unfortunately, that does appear to be how the system is working. There aren't a lot of workarounds as it stands. Holly, thank you so much. No worries, Frankie.